Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hello and welcome to another episode of Surveyor Says. This is your host, Tim Birch, and we're actually on location, kind of, sort of. We're in Warsaw, Poland for the uh, FIG Congress 2022, and it finally happened. I, I had to go halfway around the world to meet somebody else from halfway around the world that I've been dying to meet. in person, face-to-face. Um, we were actually supposed to meet in Amsterdam in 2020. Yes, we were. Uh, I'm speaking of the one, the only, Miss Nell, Norell Underwood. So now that I'm trying to keep track here, what is your official title? Hey. Okay, Tim, so it's just changed recently. So my title now is Surveyor General of New South Wales and an Executive Director of Spatial Services. Uh, I knew it was a mouthful. <laughs> And I knew it was it was something I, I wasn't going to butcher, and, and I want to make sure to get it straight because, um, what, uh, well, I think it's incredible that uh, that uh, someone of your caliber has been chosen for this type of job, um, because you are so you're you're so good at the, the, the whole public relations, really being a good face for surveying. So, um, well, before we get into all of what you're currently doing. All right, every surveyor has a story. How did Miss Nell get into surveying? Yeah, um, I guess I've, I've got two different ways to tell the story. Um, I'm going to jump, the, the way I'm going to like to tell the most, it's not so much about how I got into surveying, but how I ended up being the Surveyor General. Because oh, yeah, that is good. Like every good Aussie story, there's a pub. <laughs> <laughs> And so for me, there's, there's a pub in, in about half an hour from where I live. It's called the Surveyor General Inn. And so it's actually oh, named after Sir Thomas Mitchell, who was one of the wow. early Surveyors General um, for the colony of New South Wales, because, you know, back before it was actually Australia, when it was a colony of New South Wales. Um, and so in this pub, there is the names of all the Surveyors General throughout the history of the colony, and their photos are all up on the wall. And my husband and I, so this was April 2015, my husband and I went for lunch at the Surveyor General Inn. Um, And I was, at the time, a survey manager for our roads authority in New South Wales, working for the state government um, as a survey manager. And I was explaining to my husband the role of the Surveyor General, what that that meant to my profession um, and, you know, leadership role. Right, right. Responsibilities involved. He, you know, we're there looking at the memorabilia, the photos on the wall, and he turns to me and he says, hey, wouldn't it be amazing if you were the first female to have your photo up on this wall? And that was my aha moment. That was the moment where I'm like, you know what? One point in time, I wouldn't mind being the Surveyor General of New South Wales. You kind of put that away, like, and there's, there's right, a memory right. on Facebook of the day that pops up every year. Um, so, you know, it's captured in time. I'd actually put a post up on Facebook about it. Uh, little did I know, about 18 months later, the role got advertised. Okay. I wasn't going to apply for the job 
because when I read the role description, I'm like, I could do 75% of that, but the other 10%, I've got no idea. Place names, electoral boundaries, a few things like that. Um, but the recruitment company, about two weeks in after being advertised, rang me and said, We're, we've been doing an international recruitment and your name keeps popping up. Would you be interested in applying for the role? And I didn't think I'd get it. You know, imposter syndrome, I let it sort of step right, it out. But right. I thought, you know what? Traditionally, it's a male approaching retirement. I'm not going to get it this time, but whoever gets it's going to retire in about five years' time, and I want it then because I can get the feedback from the interview, work out what I need to work on, sure, and then work on that in the next five years. But I didn't go into the job interview process thinking I wasn't going to get the job. I actually went into it with a vision for what I was going to sure. achieve. Turns out that's what they were looking for. <laughs> and little <laughs> did I know, I then got the job. Oh, wow. Holy cow. And so, yeah, now I have my photo up on the wall, wall in the pub. It's like, to be honest, it's the proudest moment in my life from a professional perspective. And now I get people, friends, um, friends of friends who will take a photo, like a selfie in the pub oh. and send it to me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is a good story. That is a great story. That is. Well, well congratulations. I mean, that that's... You know, and that's, I guess that's part of what I was looking forward to talking to you because it's stories like this that we want to make sure and, and capture. Uh, it, it's the, the hope that some young woman out there hears this and has the same feelings, the same uh, desires to, to whatever, not necessarily be the surveyor general, but to do whatever she wants to do. And she does it. She's given that opportunity and is able to accomplish that. So, wow, that, that's that's fantastic. Okay, so let's rewind. I need to hear the story of how did how did you get to that point to start with? How 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 does a, a, a woman in New South Wales get into surveying? Like so many people I know, I fell into it by accident completely. So I okay, actually sure. um, I wanted to be an architect. I always wanted to work in the built environment. So growing up, Lego. Old school SimCity, not the new Sims style computer games. Right. Um, building model houses, those sort of things was, that was what I did for fun. Um, so I knew I wanted to work in the built environment, wanted to be an architect. But um, for a few different reasons, changed my mind and went into civil engineering. And at the beginning of my second year of civil engineering, I actually got offered a job with a surveying firm who was after someone that could do CAD drafting. And I'd done CAD drafting in high school. So I got a job with a surveyor and absolutely fell in love with it, realized I'd picked the wrong thing, and so changed degrees after my second year wow. of civil engineering and haven't looked back, absolutely loved it. Fantastic. Well, and I t so I guess that's gonna be part of my next question. Can we talk about uh, becoming registered yep. in Australia and what the differences are, I mean, what it takes to become a registered surveyor and the technician side and a few different things. What's it take to be a surveyor of various levels in Australia? So the term surveyor isn't protected in New South Wales or in Australia. So anyone can become a surveyor. Okay. Where it becomes protected is whether you want, when you want to be a registered or licensed land surveyor or in New South Wales, mining surveyor is also protected okay. as okay. well. Uh, so I am a registered land surveyor. That's, that's the process. So to do that, you've got to have a four year university degree. Uh, two years practical experience and then you've got to pass five board exams which are practical projects that you bring in and have a face-to-face -face interview with two or three examiners. Okay, okay. very good. Uh, 
and I guess I'm, I'm going to ask the same question that gets asked here in the United States when we talk about a four-year degree, and then in, in, the, in, in the States, it's usually four years, and then four years of experience. And Well, if I'm going to spend six to eight years of this to become a surveyor, why wouldn't I just become an engineer or a doctor? Um, is there that kind of a question, any kind of anything that's in, in Australia, they get that same, that same question? All the time. Uh, definitely all the time um, and it's interesting being here at FIG there's lots of discussion about um, needing to build more capacity and capability skill shortage all the questions that we've been str struggling with in New South Wales and Australia so I guess it's kind of heartening but disappointing at the same time right. that none of us across the world have cracked this problem right that we're all dealing with this identity issue around surveyors and attracting the next profession to come through um, so yeah there's definitely questions around you know and lots of people don't go through the registration process. So, um, you know, we've got 900-odd registered land surveyors in New South Wales, um, and there's probably four to 5,000 surveyors in okay. New South Wales. Okay. And then if you add in geospatial, then it's probably significantly higher than that. But because it's not regulated, I don't have clear numbers. We kind of rely on census data to, be sure, able to sure. identify that. Um, but I think it just depends on the type of work that you want to be in. So if you want to work in mining, if you want to work in land, then you have to go through that registration process. Okay. So a non-registered surveyor in is could, I mean, what do I relate that to? Uh, Versus, versus a, is that a technician here? It in, could be it, in a our... whole range of different names. Okay. Again, there's not there's not one. You know, different people use different terms, and it depends on what the type of work they're um, they're looking at. So a lot of people use like engineering surveyor, technician surveyor. Okay. Um, you can have a university degree, but not have gotten not have gone through the registration okay. process. So surveyor, senior surveyor. It really depends on the individual companies. Um, okay. So we have a large part of the industry, the broader industry, that have got no qualifications, just on-the-job training. Uh, there'll be people that have gone through the TAFE system and right. people who have heard Peter Cox um, yes. speak to you before will know all about that sort of side of training and what with um, specifically what Peter's doing in terms of response to industry-focused training in terms right. of having um, the Surveyors Academy up and running as well. Um, and so we have what we call Cert 3, Cert 4, and diploma-level qualifications, and then okay. we move into university-level. Okay. So I guess somebody so somebody that's not registered, it's all of those tasks that, can, that need to be done by a surveyor but don't necessarily need to be signed or certified of any type. Yeah. Topographic surveys. Yeah, engineering, construction, Action. building set-outs, okay. all of that sort of stuff as well. And not just that, but even... Unregistered surveyors can do cadastral work under supervision. So as a registered land surveyor, I can supervise unregistered people right. to do the work. Right. That causes some tension uh, within the industry because some people do a great job at supervision um, and take pride in the work that they're supervising and others not so much. So there's a bit of a signature for hire right. uh, industry that happens. Um, but as the regulator in my role as Surveyor General, the people often complain about, um, and I've got to investigate people around providing the right level of supervision. But it does come down to that professional and ethical standards right. around value for your signature. Exactly. And that's, you know, that importance of when you're signing off, making sure that you've done the right checks and balances that the people that you're signing off on have done the right work, that they've had the right supervision, they've had the right training and mentoring. Exactly. All right, so let's, I'd like to roll into talking about the Surveyor General yep. position. Uh, I, I, I assume, I mean, 
when I, when I think of surveyor general, I'm thinking of, of overseeing a little army. So I'm, I'm guessing your department's pretty good size. And you've got, I mean, what, what, what is the responsibilities of a surveyor general? Yeah, so um, I guess I wear a couple of hats, as I said, Surveyor yes. General and Executive Director. So Office of the Surveyor General in today's terms, very different from back in the times of Sir Thomas Mitchell and, right. and um, my forefathers, uh, where they were you know, out exploring uncharted territories. Uh, these days, um, I've got about 50 people in the Office of the Surveyor General. Um, and so a couple of different aspects. So um, we're responsible for the State Control Survey Network, so the Geodetic right. Surveying we have a cause network that we maintain and operate. We're also responsible for the legislation, so the Surveying and Spatial Information Act, its regulation, and then Surveyor General Directions that sit underneath that. Right. That set the legislative framework for what surveyors have to do, um, the accuracies they need to meet specifically in relation to um, cadastral boundaries. Um, and so I also... Um, chair the board of surveying and spatial information who are the people who decide who gets a license to practice okay that was going to be one of my questions is, does this include include oversight of, of licensure which yeah so setting registration. the setting okay. the education standards setting the competency standards uh standards okay. around maintaining competency i also have the displeasure of dealing with complaints and disciplinary action sure. for surveyors who do the wrong thing uh, prosecuting unregistered surveyors who do land surveys um, and providing advice to government generally around everything related to surveying and geospatial information. And then on top of that, when you become Surveyor General, you're suddenly responsible for place names and electoral boundaries. Really? <laughs> wow. Um, I guess I'm just I'm blown away by all of those responsibilities. That's, that's incredible. Um, I guess also let's talk about some of the, I guess the, not really the work environment, but the things that you have to deal with down there, I mean, one thing that you've said that maybe some of our listeners aren't aren't uh, used to hearing is cadaster. And for, for the people that don't know, explain about parcels and cadaster of, yeah. of what you're overseeing. Yeah, so uh, property boundaries. Property boundaries. In New South Wales, we call that our cadaster. Um, so cadastral surveyors or land surveyors, land boundaries in that. So... Um, surveyors will go and prepare the survey plans and so generally private surveyors or it could be government surveyors but um, in working in different departments preparing plans of subdivision plans of boundary definition and they get registered with the land registry services uh, for us here um, so in New South Wales they actually made a decision to privatize the titles and registration right part. I was gonna and ask you so, about that yes so there's a we also have what's called a registrar general who's responsible for the titling side. Um, and so there's this unique dynamic in a private-public relationship between the Office of the Registrar General, the Office of the Surveyor General, and the private entity, New South Wales Land Registry Services. Okay. And so we have to work together to ensure the integrities of the title register, but also the integrities of the property boundaries, or specifically what we call the cadaster. Right. And that's been all converted to digital? So we have a digital representation of okay. um, the property boundaries of the cadaster. Um, surveyors lodge a digital plan, but it's dumb digital. Okay, okay. Uh, so it's a TIFF image or a PDF. Ah, okay. Um, but we've had a project in New South Wales where we've been converting that data, we call it back capture, into a digital, a smart digital format. And so we've back captured, I think, 1.5 million plans. So pretty much nearly every plan that has existed, or that still exists, we've... Um, 
converted that into digital data. We've still got a few hard plans from like the early 1800s that aren't really easy to convert. So we're doing that at the moment. Um, But the intent is over the next sort of 12 to 18 months, we've introduced, um, we've had digital formats for the last 15 years, people like smart data, but people haven't taken it up because it's not been the right fit for industry. Sure, sure. So during my time as Surveyor General, I've... um, We've worked with industry and the private service provider to co-design a new CAD format for people to be able to submit digital data for us moving forward. And so that's going into testing phases now. And we'll, we'll, over the next couple of years, move to it being compulsory. All right. Wow. Now, something you did say when you were talking about the Surveyor General Office, um, you said you manage the cores and your control network. Uh, I mean, how much maintenance, how much ongoing work does it take to to oversee a control network of uh, an Australian state? Yeah, so there's, um, the guys will be cranking at me for not knowing how many exactly, but we've got about 230,000 survey control marks. Our cores network is 204 stations. Um, So that covers 95 or 99, I can't remember, um, percent of the population. you know, we've got big open areas with not a lot of population, so it doesn't cover the entire state because the public value sure, is not sure. there. Um, but so, yeah, as I said, I've got about 50 um, people in the team, about 40 work on the survey sort of control network. Um, we don't do all of the work ourselves. Private sure, surveyors sure. do a lot of work and submit it to us, and we do QA, checking that it meets our quality processes. Um and we've shifted uh, a couple of years ago to a new datum. So my team have been converting um, our old data into new into the new datum. Um, and so that has been a process because in essence, um, we were GDA 94, now we're GDA 2020. That's not gonna mean anything to right. you guys. Well, it is, but I was gonna go, but, yeah. but keep going, keep going. That's right, um, yeah. But, but the, one of the challenges for us has, um, had been that a lot of our data in GDA 94 had actually been transformed data from the previous datum again. So we were transforming transformed data. Right. Um, but I've got some like absolutely amazing, talented, smart guys um, who we sent them on a Python tra- coding course. And so they've actually written code that allows us to go back into the original data instead of transforming we're reprocessing the old surveys okay and so um they've actually done more work in the last two years in terms of reprocessing that data than we'd ever done for the for the previous transformation and when we'd first sat down about five years ago to look at you know how long it would take for us to actually transform all our data well not transform but to reprocess our data we were looking at like 20 years and we've done the majority of it already because wow. the guys, yeah, when you uh, when you give your team the right motivation, the right training and support to go away and innovate, like it just, it blows my mind every day what they manage to deliver on. Well, it helps to have good leadership. <laughs> so I guess the, the question I have is, so when you guys went to this new datum, this is a dynamic datum? No, it's not. N- not completely? It's not quite, no. So it okay. is, so our new datum is set at, you know, 1st of January, 2020, but there is a velocity side to it. So we can project back and forth. So while the datum is fixed, we can use it in terms of we've got a velocity model that allows us to project backwards and forwards. Because that's, that's the next scary movement here in the, in the States is going to be, or actually there in the States, uh, moving to this datum. And, you know, and I keep, I keep mentioning that, you know, it's, 
it's something that the you know the Aussies have already done. I mean, because you are one big island that's moving. Seven centimeters north of you, fastest moving continent on the planet. Exactly. So what you yeah what you register today and you know and, and over time is going to be somewhere different. Albeit it's all still relative. It's all close, but it's a different coordinate value. I mean, that's the beauty, I guess, of what we've learned with GNSS. But it's yeah, it's great stuff. Um and and so. You know, while we've got a fixed datum, the, the big thing for us has been the importance of making sure that time is stamped in the metadata because that is the key thing because then you can use machine learning. Then it doesn't matter when your data was captured because you've got the right metadata. The machines can all work out how to transform right. it and bring it, bring it into alignment at the right date. Exactly. Did you hear that, people? She said metadata. That Stick to that. Well, she's a surveyor general. We have to listen to her. Um, no, that's great. Um, I want to go off on a wild tangent here because something that uh, I found I found out about you and you just mentioned it a little bit ago. You're crazy about Legos. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, have a, I have a I have a pretty um, pretty awesome Lego collection. I have a lot of Lego now as an adult that I you know dreamed about as a child. Right, right. Well, the I mean the the sets now versus when well when. Way you were, you were, kid, a, you were yes. a kid and then way long ago when I was a kid. So uh, I guess that's something that, yeah, that's, that's just transcended generations that, that you're still spending time with your kids building these. these well, fan let's be clear. The kids aren't allowed to touch my Lego. Oh, there's the, okay. The, the, the kids Lego sets. Okay. And then there's the Norel the, the Lego sets. The, and then there's you know, Things like the roller coasters and the uh, Coliseum, the world map. Okay. Things like that, those big sets, and that's 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 don't touch mum's Legos. Those are mum's Legos. <laughs> okay, wow, holy cow! But yes, um, so things like my son's got the robotics Lego kits and a whole range of you know superhero Lego kits and stuff like that. So yes, we definitely sit down and play with those together. And very cool. He, um, I like to follow instructions. He likes to build creations. Sure. <laughs> so that's always fun. Uh, that's, that's an adolescent boy's mind. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, all right. So what's, what's on your short range? Do you have short range plans for your position? I mean, what, where do you see surveying going in New South Wales as the surveyor general? Yeah. So I think, you know, so the new part for my role is I'm now the executive director of spatial services. So right. your listeners aren't going to know what that is, but where the mapping authority is probably the easiest right. way to explain it up for New South Wales. And so, you know, my team's gone from uh, 70 in total to I've now got 300 people that I'm responsible right. for. So a big jump up in there. But so in addition to the surveying, I'm also responsible for the geospatial components for our foundation spatial data. So, you know, we've nice. got, we own a plane and we lease a plane to capture LIDAR and imagery. The team of people producing lots and lots of data um, and all the ICT and support that goes in with that so our big focus at the moment um we call it our spatial digital twin project so we've got a, a program to build a spatial digital twin for new south wales but what we're actually talking about is the fundamental transformation of our underlying ict systems processes and our data as we move everything into 3d 4d well actually 5d when you add the metadata right importance into it as well holy cow um, and we're also capturing a gravity model for the entirety of New South Wales so that we can move to a new height datum. Wow. 
I don't know how you find enough hours in the day. I have an amazing team of directors below me that do the technical side so that I can do the strategic and visionary part and the industry engagement. Well, good. Well, like I said, it starts with good leadership. And uh, I guess that's the one thing that uh, has amazed me by uh, LinkedIn stalking you for a couple of years (laughs) and kind of watching things and just seeing how your career has just taken off. And it's obviously it's it's very very well well deserved um what does the future of surveying look like to to Merrill underwood for the next five ten years so i think you know let's be honest and I, you know anyone who's heard me speak before um you know measurement used to be our key focus as surveyors but anybody can go and measure a distance these days true so it's actually about understanding whether that distance you've measured is fit for purpose or whether that data is captured as being fit for purpose and being able to bring in data sets from a whole range of different areas. So it's really about the data management, the data analysis and providing that professional advice to our clients, the value add. And that yes. is, you know, we kind of said it before, but that being able to communicate the value of what we bring as a profession right. to data because any. You know, my son's nine, he's got a drone, he can capture data, he thinks it's cool. He can create models, he can do videos on his phone, 3D models, all of that right. sort of stuff. And so, why do I need to hire a surveyor when a nine-year-old can work out how to do it on an <laughs> iPhone? So, being really clear about what value we bring to that, yes, my nine-year-old can build you a model, but I can guarantee when you go to construct the road that that model's based on yes exactly. <laughs> you're gonna run into volume issues or you're gonna have you know quantity problems and things like that so it's really being able to communicate the importance of what we do and exactly. you know, anybody can pull data right but being able to understand the metadata being able to understand whether it's fit for purpose the importance of understanding datums because the amount of times i've gotten data from different sources different datums and people like they don't fit and it's like duh because they're on different datums exactly <laughs> Exactly. No, that's and you're right. We we need to continue that that focus on really making sure the public understands why why we're important and why we're why it's it's such a you know, well. I've I've always said that you know I can go to Home Depot, I can buy a pipe wrench, but that doesn't make me a plumber. Correct. Just ask my wife. Um, that you know it's one of those things that yeah you can buy the tools, but that doesn't make you the expert in that in that profession or occupation and yeah you're spot on i love it i love it um well uh how's the fig congress 2022 been for you i mean you're like i said it took you 32 hours to get here yeah um but wouldn't change it and i'm on leave from work at the moment so you know i'm that odd person that takes holidays to come to a conference um but absolutely enjoying being able to you know you and I, as we said, we've been yes. communicating back and forth for nearly three years and haven't had a chance to meet. And we've had some great conversations the last few days. You know, um, my first FIG event was in 2010 in Sydney when I just finished university, and so you know, I kind of got the FIG bug then. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's being able to come and see what the rest of the world's doing compared to how I, what we're doing. You know, looking for that inspiration, looking for things that other people have been working on, and you're like, I need to go and you know go and have a chat with that person and break down and understand where they're coming from and what they're trying to achieve because either we can help because we've already done it or they can help because they've done it and I'm about to do it. So being able to make these connections just means that, you know, you've got this opportunity 
to look across the world and see what we're doing in surveying and geospatial and then taking that back to my teams, to the rest of the profession and sharing that information. Um, and it's just great to be able to surveyors. I love surveyors, but at the same time, they're very in-focused. It's, it's about right. surveyors and surveying. And so it's looking at how do we bring that public value? And, you know, we talk about the future of surveying. You know, governments want geospatial data to make informed decision-making. Right. And if we don't step into that space, somebody else will. Yes. And so there's that opportunity for us to have a bigger influence on government decisions, on government policy moving forward. And so how do we, how do we bring that and have that global perspective? And because it's not just about who puts the peg or the marker on the boundary corner, but who's influencing government policy and how are we, how are we using that towards the sustainable development goals or environmental or, you know, um, a lot of your lessons from that um, environmental disaster, recovery, bushfires, flooding, right. earthquakes. Right. Um, those areas where geospatial information can have a really big influence and impact on the surveying profession, but more importantly, on the members of the community. Very good. Um, well, I, a couple quick things and then we'll wrap it up. Well, you know, we got your time's, uh, time's precious here as well. Um, first thing is... Uh, a, a young woman in high school, university, um, as a woman that's achieved her goals, some of her goals, and, and still got more for the future, do you have a piece of advice for a young woman who's looking to become the next Norel or, or whatever they want to do? Yeah, um, it's hard to go past Nikes, just do it. I think the biggest right. part is to just to, to be bold and to be brave and be kind. That's kind of the, the things that stick out for me. So it's really hard to step into an industry where there is so few females. Exactly. But there are amazing females in the profession who will help you along the way. I have been blessed to have a very small but amazing network who, when there has been problems, have been there, you know, that, that club. And that's not, to be honest, that's not just females. There are amazing men and mentors and support yes. um, who have helped me get where I am today. And so Good. I think, you know, even though it can be daunting, you know, the support is there to help you to succeed. Very good. Okay, my last question, if you, and we can edit this out if you don't want to, what's the story on your compass rose? Uh, she has the most amazing compass rose tattoo. And uh, th this is a woman that is, is I mean, she's 100% all in on surveying. Yeah. Um, so I was in Thailand in uh, on holidays, um, I'm trying to think, was it four years ago, five years ago? Um, so uh, I do Muay Thai kickboxing. And so we'd gone mm -hmm. to do a training camp in Thailand, sitting at the pool after training, uh, drinking cocktails and skimming through uh, Instagram and saw a picture of um, of this tattoo and I'm like that is the tattoo for me uh, and so the next day went and got it done so five and a half hours in the chair oh, um, in Thailand um, but yeah it's amazing <laughs> yeah um, wonderful yeah and so for me and you know it's kind of hard to explain it but there's obviously um, a compass rose in there but around it there is also the planets and the stars and so I go you mm -hmm. know before we had GPS we used the planets and the stars to exactly. navigate um, there's watercolors through it, but also there's this network of triangulation that sits behind it as well. And mm -hmm. obviously triangulation is the core of our, of surveying. And um, we used to have a motto in uni, triangles are the answer to everything. Um, and so when I saw this picture on Instagram, I'm like, it was like the tattoo was designed specifically for me. Well, 
I, it's fit. It's it's very very appropriate, and I'm I'm imp- I'm I'm blown away and imp- super impressed by it. And like I said, I think it's just like everything else that uh, that Miss Nell puts forward. It's uh, it's it's all in and uh, very very good. Well, thank you for the time. Like I said, this has been uh, this week and sitting down and talking to you has been uh, a dream come true because. Um, I, I just knew it was going to be a, a great conversation, no matter whether we're co- recording it or not. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. That's all right. Uh, and looking forward to Orlando 2023. Atlanta, yes, <laughs> very, yeah, very much so. And, um, and if Michelle, Peter, if you're listening, hello, we, we're missing you. So we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you later. Uh, uh, well, thanks again to, to Nell and everybody here at uh, FIG Congress 2022. It's been a great week. We've got a couple more days left, but we'll have some fun with it. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast wherever you listen please subscribe and uh, we're going to keep having more great guests like this one well I hope so this one's been great so we'll talk to you soon thanks you've been listening to the Surveyor Says podcast brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors if you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic please email us at info at nsps.us.com and we are here to help Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor. Surveyor.